welcome to the Squats and Science podcast hosted by USA National Team Head Coach Aaron Comesti and SNS Barbell Owner and Coach Joe Cristando. In this podcast, we go over various powerlifting topics in detail and use real-life examples to help you better understand key concepts. All right, everyone, welcome to episode number two. I am Arian Comessi, and I'm here with Joe Cristando. Hey. So in our last episode, we talked um, about warming up, both in the gym and competition. So for this episode, we're basically piggybacking off of that. And now we're going to go into attempt selection for competitions. So basically, the episode is going to go, we'll talk a little about different methods you can do to pick your attempts. And then we'll go into a real-life example with Joe, who's going to be competing on Sunday. We're recording this on Friday, but by the time the episode comes out, he'll have already competed. So you can go look up his results and see if our methods worked out for him or not. <laughs> uh, so we'll go over his ex- uh, attempt selection that we're going to base on squat, bench, and deadlift based on his training. And then after that, if we have time, we'll go into some advanced strategies that lifters may use to for a national championship or a world championship where it's more important about winning rather than just putting up the biggest total um, since that's like the biggest thing in the sport or any sport is you care about winning. You don't necessarily care about what the score is. All right, so we'll start going over the different types of methods. So, Joe, you want to uh, let us know one way that you can do to pick your attempts? Um, Well, we could do the one that I use, which is velocity-based. Um. So I have a pretty good understanding of my velocity profile. Uh, Every lifter is different. Um, And then throughout a training block, I keep track of all of my velocities for for everything, but um, particularly singles. And towards the end of the block, you start to get a pretty good idea of uh, where you're at. Um, Everyone's one rep uh, max is tied to a certain velocity so like if you know you can grind like i know i'm a pretty good grinder on the squat i can hit a super slow velocity i'll use that to scale my attempts yep so joe jumped straight into the deep end and picked a very advanced (laughs) method and and probably a very uncommon approach um but that gets esoteric one but But, I mean, that, that gives you one idea that maybe a lot of people didn't think about. And also, you can kind of see the pros and cons of it, uh, with the pros being that, hey, in training, you're already developed your velocity profile for that lift. And probably in that training cycle, you're going to see little to no change in your, your max velocity or bottom end velocity, your max of weight. Um, so that becomes very accurate. And as long as you're executing the reps with maximum uh, effort, then it gives you a very objective answer of what your strength is that day. Yeah. So that's one of the pros to it. Um, and there's ways that you can um, use it in competition because one of the cons would obviously be one in training. You might not have access to a device. And if you do have access to a device, then two, you might not have access to it in a meet. Uh, even if you brought it into your warm-ups, in the warm-up room and use it for your warm-ups, you might not have it on the platform. But one way you can go around that, which is an example that I went back and I was uh, remembering, was from 2015 in Finland. We had a lifter on our national team at Worlds. Uh, his name is Donnie Bingham. 
and he is very big on velocity-based training, and he is a strength and conditioning coach, I believe, for the Army, so, um, and he also uses velocity-based training for them. So what he did, instead of just figuring out his velocity, he figured out what his time of uh, the concentric phase of each lift was. So he calculated how much time it takes him from the bottom of the squat until lockout, and then from when he gets to press command on bench press until lockout, and then deadlift from the ground to lockout. So what I did, he wanted me to help him out at the competition, was I basically tried to time his concentric phase of his opener during the competition. So as soon as I see him come out of the hole on squat, I started the time, and as soon as he locked out, I stopped the time. And then I would tell him that time, and he can base off his previous data of all his training squats to figure out how good was he on squat that day. He adjusts his attempts that way. So that's like another way you can do it. Obviously, you need someone there to help you out to time everything and do it correctly. And you need to have the data points. But that was a way that he did it to um, ensure that he picked the best attempts that he could. So he put up, ended up putting up a PR total and winning the Masters one, 93 kilo class. So it worked out well for him. Yeah, that's 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 really interesting. I know Jordan uh, Jordan has done that before too. Um, another way you can get around it too, if you're using velocity, is um, during your 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 meat prep, you can start making a calibration chart, and we actually have it on the uh, SNS blog. And that you calibrate all your velocity to to a specific RPE. Um, so you have two two units of measurement now that you can use to assess. So if you don't have velocity on the platform, you can have a pretty good idea of, of where that velocity would be if you had it based off the RPE calculation. Um, and it's pretty consistent. As long as you're good at rating RPE, um, it can be pretty accurate. Yeah, so a lot of people have uh, a RPE to percentage chart. So they'll go and look and see, well, a single out of eight RPE equates out to whatever, 92%. So you can actually do the same thing where you're creating the velocity, the RPE chart. Yeah. So then when it comes into competition, you can actually use the RPE to give you a, a gauge of what your velocity you're at and then adjust your attempts based on what velocity that opener looks like. Right. Cool. So then the second method, basically what we, we've been mentioning uh, and slightly more used would be RPE, which is also auto-regulated, but there's a little bit more subjectiveness to it, especially if it's, whether the lifter is rating their own attempt while they're doing the attempt, which has its own uh, negative aspects to it, or whether it's the coach rating the attempt while they're watching it, but they're not actually feeling the weight, they're not actually under it. So it depends what method you use, or if you do a combination of both, or whether the lifter watches a video that's been recorded afterwards and kind of gets a third-person uh, third perspective. But that's another way to do it, is if you don't have... Uh, a velocity-based uh, training device, then you would just do it off of RPE. An example just to say would be like your opener would be a 8 RPE, your second attempt would be a 9 RPE, and obviously your third would be a 10 RPE. Yeah. Uh, and going back real quick to the velocity, just to throw out some numbers, it would be like, let's say, 0.25 meters per second for your opener, 0.2 meters per second for your second, and then if you're really good at grinding, maybe you'll get a third in at 0.17 or 1.5 or something like that. Um, so those are just some numbers thrown out, but obviously those numbers would change based on the person and what they're trying to achieve, their experience level. Maybe, for example, for the RPE method, they'll start with a RPE 7 as the opener, just so it's something very easy to make sure they get in. Uh, another way people use that's kind of connected with RPE is use your, your either your best triple, 
or something that you can triple easy in training as your opener. So something that you could triple as a max three reps would then be a RP8, or something that you can triple that was easy would be get another rep in the tank would be a RP7. And then you can do the same thing for a second attempt. You can go off of something you can double, which again would be like an RP9. And obviously the third attempt, you would go for your max potential. Yeah, when I first started competing and I was doing all this stuff on my own, that's, uh, I, I don't know where I read that first, but I used that for like my first few meets of just like something I knew that I could triple any day in the gym. Um, it, it works. I mean. Yeah, because a lot of the beginners don't understand uh, all the varos involved with going into a competition from possibly using calibrated weights versus your gym might have uncalibrated plates. I've weighed in, I've weighed 45 pound plates that weigh 40 pounds or 41 pounds before. Yeah. So, and that the, the heavier lift and each of those 45 pound plates is off, then the more you're off by right. The, just waiting for commands, having to lift at 9am versus maybe 6pm having to cut weight. If you did have to cut any of the weight or maybe not eat that morning, uh, breakfast, yeah. uh, whether the place is really hot, if it's a gym. So we, we've run meets down here in uh, South Florida in a gym in the summer and even with the gym AC going on and the bay door open, everything like that is very hot in there. So people aren't used to that. So all those variables come into play. So that's yeah, kind of thing you hear around online everywhere. Just pick something you can triple easy. So even yeah. if you have all those variables going on, you'll still get that first one in. Right. Yeah. It also helps get your nerves down too. If you know, if you're, if you're a beginner and that first squat is usually the, the roughest and once you get it done, it kind of feels a little bit easier. Yeah. And, and the, Similar thing can apply as you're going up the levels, even if someone has experience. So I had lifters at nationals that have done a bunch of local meets before or have done nationals before. And that first squat attempt, like you said, is still nervous for them. It, yeah. it doesn't matter if they have five or six meets under their belt over two years, that first squat still nerves for them. Um, and same thing when you go again up another level to worlds, you have some people the first time at worlds, it might be the first time traveling out of the country. For some people, it's the first time they've ever been on an airplane before. They're going to another country. It's a different time zone. Everyone speaks a different language. The food might taste different. Uh, the temperature might be different. So then again, people get nervous. It's a world championship. So even sometimes that that example of just going off a really easy opener applies even for someone at a world championship. Yeah. For your lifters that you coached um, at nationals and even local meets, do you use any uh, RPE with them when they come off the platform? You ask them how it feels, how many reps they felt they had? Yeah, I, I, that's the first thing we say is how, how did it feel and what do you think? Um, and then I take what they say into account. And a lot of it is knowing the lifter. So I have certain lifters who uh, who I know to sandbag and <laughs> undershoot. Um, and, and, the, and the opposite, I have lifters that will, you know, say something is easy and it definitely is, you know, not, <laughs> not as easy as they think it is. Um, a lot of it comes from just knowing as from a coaching perspective and an athlete perspective is knowing either yourself as an athlete or knowing your athlete that you're coaching and knowing what they're capable of watching them lift. You know, you, you get a pretty good idea. Um, and every lifter has a different threshold, right? So like I know if, if I'll take Ursula, for example, she like smoked her second, uh, her second squat but you can't grind really. So yeah. you, you, you have to take that in consideration when choosing that third attempt, even though the second looked like, you know, really easy, super fast. 
I know she just has a point where if she if it's heavy enough, she just can't complete the rep. And especially going from two to three, I think um, it's just it's really about being intuitive as an athlete, and then also from a coaching perspective, knowing your athlete well enough. Yeah. So hopefully she doesn't get mad at you for uh for <laughs> call, call, calling her out like that. But it is true. Some people are always fast, and some people are always slow, and they can't do it the other way around. Um, especially I've seen a lot of masters lifters. Um, as you just get older, you're, you're just going to get slower in all your movements. So I'll see a masters lifter where their last warm up looks slow, like it looks like an opener, and then their opener looks like a second attempt, and then their second attempt looks like a third attempt, and then they still go up like another two and a half or five kilos and still get it. They just have at that point, at that age, they just have one speed, and it might look like they don't have any more in their, more in them, but they could, they know their body and they could just continue to be able to put more weight on and just move the same speed. Yeah, Dave. Dave's a pretty good example of that because he'll every rep on squat looks almost identical. <laughs> yeah, he'll grind a rep and he'll be like, "Oh, it felt like a, you know, whatever, an eight or something." And you go up and he can just hit it again. It's it depends on the lifter, you know. Yeah, and some of it depends on uh, how efficient they are in the movement. Um, that's going back to what you said about knowing your lifter. For example, if someone deadlifts with a round back, so. A second attempt might have felt like a RPE 8, let's say. It was like a super easy for them that they felt. But the thing is that as you put on more weight, the more inefficient they become because the more they're going to round over. So you right. might be like, oh, it's RPE It's easy. Let's take a big jump. Then you go up a big jump um, to your top end or maybe above your top end. And all of a sudden, they just fail at their, right at their knees. And it's because the way that the technique they're using, they're becoming more uh, inefficient as the more weight gets on there. So you have to take that into account that maybe just because – it was fast and it was efficient with a lighter weight that it's not going to be the same versus someone like maybe Dave, when it comes to squat, he's very good at maintaining his position and staying yeah. tight and fighting through it. So as long as you add more weight on there, consistent with the previous rep, he's going to maintain that same technique, the same efficiency, and it's going to be uh, more accurate. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And like I said, a lot of it's just knowing, knowing the lifter RP is kind of, it's a good, it's a good tool, but there's, it's a little more complex than just saying like it feels like X, Y, Z. Yeah. And then so we'll go now to the third method. We basically went in reverse order from the most <laughs> advanced. So now we'll go down to the most basic, uh, though there is a little bit of complexity into it depending on how fast you're progressing. And the most basic would just be going percentage based. And so, for example, someone can just do 90% for their first attempt, 95% for their second attempt, and 100% for their third attempt and yeah. just take the 5% jumps. The, the complexity comes into what kind of jumps do you want to take, which would be, for example, a lot of people say opener to go 88 to 92%, somewhere in that range as your opener. The more of a beginner you are, you want to go on the lower end. The more advanced you are, maybe you want to go a little bit more in the middle or the top end. Second attempt might be somewhere between 94 and 97%. Again, maybe lower end for beginners, higher end for more advanced lifters, and then obviously a hundred percent or more on the third attempt depending on what's there and then the other the other complex part comes well what are you basing these percentages off of so when you're advanced lifter and you're not progressing as fast and you're just trying to get that next two and a half kilos or five kilos then it makes sense to use the percentage based on whatever you hit the last competition so if the last competition you hit 200 kilos and you're trying to go for 205 kilos well then you run your percentages off of 200 times 90%, 200 times 95%, and then see if you can get another five kilos on there. Right. Whereas if you're a beginner and you're putting 
a ton of kilos on your individual lift standard total every single month, then you may not want to use the competition numbers because maybe your max three months ago was 200, but your, your max now is going to be 225 or 230. So the percentages don't work. So then that's when you have to either go off of a, maybe a heavy single you've hit in training or some kind of estimated max uh, based off of the heavy single that you hit on training or a heavy double or triple, something like that. So you can estimate, okay, I'm somewhere around 220 to 230. So let me run my numbers maybe off of 220 instead of 200. Right, right. Uh, for, for me, I use, for most people, I use percentage, uh, at least to begin with. And again, if, if I'm going for a small PR, it's based off of their competition max. If they've progressed a lot, then I'll go off of that heavy single and I'll estimate what the RP was that heavy single in training. And then typically I fall around 91 to 92% for the first, then 97% for the second, and then 100 above for the third with um, trying to maintain what we've talked about in the previous episode of taking the same or smaller jumps. So if I'm going 91 to 97, that's 6%, then I won't go more than 6% from second to third. So that would be 97 to 103. Right. Yeah, I, I kind of adopted... Uh... Jordan's method to this, which goes a little bit more into the actual programming of a meat prep, but um, for a lifter, and this, and I apply this to myself as well. When I'm doing my attempts, we try and push the singles a little bit harder in training to get to. You probably get to actually your three A in training, or somewhere close to it, maybe two and a half or five off of it. But you're going to hit something that's really close to what best case scenario on meet day would be. And then we just work backwards off of whatever that is in training. Um, I really like this method. It, it takes a lot of variables out um, and takes a little bit of nerves out too because you know you've done it in training maybe a couple weeks out or a week out or two weeks out. And then, uh, you know, you just have to be okay with not necessarily crushing some big PR in, in at the meet. But you might have hit it in training, so it, it doesn't really matter, you know. It's it's uh, it's going to be new on the platform. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't typically go that heavy. If I do, it might be for bench press, not necessarily a squat and deadlift. For most people, I'll go more up to a what their planned second attempt would be. Yeah. And for some cases, I'll only go up to what their planned uh, first attempt is. But based off of the second attempt, how it is in training and what kind of fatigue levels they are, then again, I can use RPE to estimate a, a one rep max and then backtrack all the attempts from that one rep max. Or if that second attempt was pretty much what a second attempt should move like anyways, then I'll just set that as our second attempt and again build everything around that. Right. And then for the few cases that I'll only do an opener for the competition left, then maybe we'll go heavier on a partial range of motion movement. Then based on how that, that a, a lift moves in training, then that might be set as their opener. And then everything is based off of that. Going into the competition is just an estimate of, hey, if best case scenario, we'll go up this and this. But for the most part, once they hit that opener in the competition, you basically just based off of that. Okay, based off of that opener in the competition, you have this much left in you. It doesn't really matter what we hit in training. Right. All right, so let's go now to the next section, which is your meet attempts <laughs> for your competition on Sunday. What, which competition is it? Uh, it's the... Murder of Crows super total. I am not doing the super total. <laughs> you're, not, you're not doing the weightlifting part. You're just doing the powerlifting part. Definitely not doing the super total. <laughs> just the powerlifting part. Uh, I, last time I competed was in March. So it's, what is that, eight months or something like that? 
nine, eight months, seven months. Yep. So yeah, we're looking about yeah, eight months, nine months of training. So yep. you probably have hit some uh, big numbers since your last meet. But we'll uh, training, yeah. Well, you would think so. Uh, <laughs> well, well, let's start out with what is your competition PR for squats? I'm gonna write it down. Uh, for March, I hit two thirty-seven and a half. Two. 37.5. Yep. And, and what's your competition PR for bench press? Uh, 137 and a half. 137 and a half. And deadlift. 227 and a half. 227 and a half. I squatted my pull. For anyone that's listening that doesn't know, these are all in kilograms because pretty much every single USAPL competition is in kilograms. Every IPF, International Power Federation competition, is in kilograms. And even in most other federations, unless they're just American bases and kilograms. So we're basing it off all of those because you, those are the attempts that you have to pick. Yep. So going off of squat, you said your competition PR is 237 and a half. So what have you hit in training in the last eight to nine months? So the most I got to was 237 and a half. Okay. So you matched that same number. I matched that same number. We, Jordan had me doing a little something unconventional i guess where i was hitting a heavy single every single day i squatted (laughs) (laughs) um and based on fatigue it it usually ended up being between 227 and a half and 237 and a half um but i hit a bunch of velocity prs which to some people sounds silly Um, (laughs) i've been able to hit 227 and a half in the mid threes uh which for me is super fast um so I feel a little less nervous about the fact that I haven't gone over 237 and a half in training. Um, I'm also way more comfortable than I was last meet. Uh, so going into the last meet, I had only squatted over 500 in training once or uh, twice, two times. Um, and I opened at 225, which is just under 500. And I, mm-hmm. that really, in terms of like anxiety, like <laughs> it, it, really, <laughs> it just got to me because I just kept questioning, like, oh, can I even do this? Um, ended up being fine, but it still was, it was a little, it was a little bit harder than I wanted it to be in terms of the mental game. Um, and this training block, I've hit over 500 three times a week for the past two months. So there's like absolutely no, like, I know I can walk in and hit this 227 and a half opener, which I, this is what I'm planning on doing. Um, and I have no no nerves about it. Um, so a little bit of a difference, even though I haven't hit anything in training over my PR. So you've somewhat come up with a plan already. So if you've hit 237.5 in competition and 237.5 in the gym, which method are you using of the ways we've described to come up with your 227.5 opener? Um, so working back, I my Jordan and I talked about this a little bit, a little bit, where my best case scenario, my 3A would, would hopefully be 242 and a half. Um, and then we just work back from there uh, going 10, 10 kilos and then 12 and a half, I think he has me doing. Or 10 and 10, I think. Um, well, if you're going 242 and a half, you said, so then it'd be two, 232 and a half? Yeah, 232 and a half. Oh, no, no, sorry. Uh, 235 would be 2A. 
So seven and a half. Seven and a half. Seven and a half. Yeah, yeah. Seven and a half. Sorry. So, so seven and a half and seven and a half. Yeah. Yep. And we just work backwards from like what I what we think is possibly on the table. So as as Joe mentioned uh, earlier, is he hit velocity PRs in training, even though he was hitting the same numbers. Uh, and he said that people may laugh at that, but uh, it does show that you did gain strength. Just like if someone hit the same weight in training, but the RPE went down from nine to eight, well, then the assumption is that you just got stronger. So if your velocity went from 0.1 meters per second to 0.15 meters per second, well, then you just you just move the bar faster. You applied more force to the bar, and so you just got stronger. And in both cases, it's the same the same assumption that you're making that you're assuming because the RP or the velocity got better that you got stronger. So I don't think it's necessarily something to laugh at or say that oh, it's not legit. So that's what you're, <laughs> so that's what you're basing off of is you hit the same thing um, in the training that you hit in the meet, but you hit it faster. So you think you have another five kilos in you. So right. then you, Jordan, for those that don't know, Jordan Burke is El Presidente of squats and science and the <laughs> co-owner of the gym. So he's helping you out. So he's saying you have five kilos more in you. So he's saying let's go 242.5 as best case third third attempt and yep. then work backwards from there. Right. And so you both feel that you, you're comfortable with seven and a half kilo jumps, which would be about 17 pounds for your attempts. Yeah, I think if, uh, if I'm feeling good and everything's moving, that for me that's, uh, that's totally doable. Yeah, so that, another thing that goes into picking the attempts for everyone is knowing what you're comfortable with. And a lot of times what you're comfortable with is what you do in training. So if in training you like doing big jumps where you're going one plate, two plates, three plates, four plates, well, then you might like bigger jumps in the competition too. Or if you're someone that needs to feel the weight and take smaller jumps or else you get too freaked out over it, well, then in competition you take smaller jumps. So someone might go 242 and a half in the same meet, in the same flight as you, but they might open up with 220. Right. Or you open up with 227 and a half or maybe someone will open open up 230 and and just take smaller jumps too so it just depends on what you feel comfortable with and what will help you determine the third attempt without necessarily gassing you out so you could say oh well why don't i go 240 on the second because i'll know for sure if i have 242.5 or not on the third but the thing is that it'll take too much energy out of you right and on the flip side you can say oh why don't i just go from 215 and jump straight to 242 and a half <laughs> and, and save as much energy as possible but the thing is that that kind of jump you might get scared uh and it's high risk that if you miss it then you're only left with a 215 so those are kind of the two extremes so you have to find that sweet spot for you yeah it so it depends on the lifter too obviously yeah and then the other thing uh, i'm noticing is because you picked 235 on the second it it even though it might not be in your plan you can actually pick 240 if you wanted for your third to get a two and a half kilo PR and you'd still have a five kilo jump. Yeah. So I think you, you and I and Jordan, we all do this similarly where we have, we have the opener, then we have two A and two B. So best case scenario, second, uh, worst case scenario, second, and then the same for three, but for three, we have three A, three B, three C. So planned it's three A would be two forty two and a half. Three B is two forty. Worst case scenario, I just match my me PR and hit 237.5. Okay. And the, and the 235 gives you space to have those three options where right. you can match the PR or go for a 2.5 kilo PR or a 5 kilo PR. Right. Yeah, and then you just base it obviously off the second, 
how it moves, how it feels. I think the squat is the, in going into this meet, the squat is the one that I'm the most comfortable with because I've just been hitting heavy singles every day. <laughs> hey, yeah, your your last two sessions, did you hit 227.5? Yeah, I hit 220. I hit the opener twice. So I hit it yesterday and I hit it on Monday. Monday. And velocity actually trended up throughout the week, which is a I think is a good sign. Um, going into the weekend yep so do you know how much it uh improved by i think monday i hit uh 0.31 and yesterday it was a 3.3 so it's not yeah. huge but it's still 0.02 which is you know it is an improvement yep so it, it kind of giving you the idea that you're recovering already throughout the week from tapering off the volume so you're actually improving from Monday to Thursday. And so the assumption is that, again, you'll, you'll make another improvement from Thursday to Sunday. Yep. All yep. right. That's kind of how we're doing it. Let's move on to bench press, everyone's favorite lift. Oh, boy. <laughs> you, you hit 137.5 <laughs> in your last competition, but you've been dealing with some shoulder issues. So what have you hit in training? So two months ago, or about two and a half months ago, I hit, I hit 137.5. Point five again in training, um, super fast, felt really good. Then I hit it again um, later in the week, and that was the day that I, I kind of messed up my shoulder. Uh, <laughs> did not feel good at all. And then I hadn't benched basically for two months, up until maybe like two weeks ago, I threw a couple sessions in. So it's really, there's a lot of variable there. Um, I did hit 315, which is 142 and a half, right? Yep. I hit that uh, at the end of the summer, touch and go, and it was super fast. It's not really, you can't really use that for anything in terms of where we're going with the temp selection, but um, so it was a PR yep. in the end of the season. So your, your bench press is an interesting case where it's not necessarily using any of the general rules of thumb or anything like that for picking attempts because your training has basically been non-existent with the shoulder messed up yeah so going based off of that that you've matched your competition pr and training but it's been so long ago and you haven't been doing very much volume and you haven't been practicing your technique what what opener you're going to pick to make sure it's something that you know you can hit no matter what so i actually hit the opener yesterday in training which i I estimated it to be 125. Um, it was really fast, really easy. It's the same opener I had in March. Um, so the thought, my thought process was, if I can hit that, I can, I can potentially just match my attempts from March, and maybe just match the 137 and a half, which I'd be fine with, given how inconsistent it's been. Mm -hmm. uh, so yesterday was kind of a little tester to get a little bit of data to kind of see where I'm at and. Um, Based on it, it, I think it should be doable on Sunday. I don't know what you think, but <laughs> 125 opener, and then second attempt would be uh, 132.5. Yeah. And then third attempt would be 137.5. Yep. Or 135. Yeah, and worst case would be uh, 2B. 2B is 130, and 3C is 132.5 would be absolute worst case scenario which honestly if if it ended up being that i probably wouldn't even be that upset 
because I know that I, you know, there's just been a lot of variable and training has been inconsistent. So you can't, um, it'd be unrealistic of me to expect, you know, yep. something crazy. Yeah. And it depends on what people's goals are for the competition, but typically the total hitting a PR, the total is more important than hitting a PR on individual lifts. So if you're already gaining, let's say five kilos on your squat yep. and then losing two and a half on your bench, you're still up two and a half and you'll, you can then go for a PR on your deadlift and yep. the total more. So even if you, even if you only did the 132 and a half and lost five on bench, but you gained five on squat, you'd be breaking even going into your deadlift. So yeah. you still, still put you in a position for a PR total. So those would make sense. And um, also one thing to mention for those that may not know is you can always change your opening attempt. So if you're in the first flight, you have up to three minutes before your group starts. So if you're starting squats at 9 a.m. in the first flight, you have up till 8.57 a.m. to change that opening squat. Yep. And same thing for bench and deadlift. If there's like a five-minute break between going into squat and to bench, then you have up to two, uh, there's uh, three minutes left on the clock to change your bench. And then if you're in the second or third flight, the way it works is instead of it being three minutes because the flight has already started, it's the last three lifts. So when they're on the last three squats of the A flight and you're in the B flight, that's when you can't change your opener anymore. So in your case, Joe, if you're warming up bench press and let's say you grinded out a really hard low bar squat and your shoulder feels wrecked and the meat's moving fast, then you can always drop that 125 down further if you need to. You're not stuck with the 125. But, yeah, so that's kind of how, that's kind of how we were thinking about playing that. Yeah, but it, it makes sense that you hit the one twenty five in training, everything felt fine, and so basing off of that, your plan would be okay. You're expecting one twenty five to feel good again on Sunday, and then from there, let's try and just match your your PR and call that a win for how this training cycle's been going. Yeah, and I and I'd actually be I'd be fine, totally happy with that. <laughs> That, that makes sense to me. It sounds like you're being very reasonable with bench press. And for a lot of people who don't have a, a big bench press, the best thing you can do is just play conservative, take reasonable attempts, just add some to your total, and then move on to the bigger lifts because you're getting 242 kilos on your squat, but you're only getting 137.5 kilos on your, on your bench. It's almost half the amount you're getting, so it's not as important to your total. So just go with what, what's there make the attempts if 137 was easy and you had another two and a half in you great save it for the next meet yeah just leave it and nine for nine is always you know the goal in terms of, and on top of the total pr all right let's move on to deadlift so you said your competition pr is 227.5 but i know you've been hitting some big numbers in training so what's the most you hit in training uh i hit a 242 and a half in training 242.5 so you already hit a 15 kilos more yep. than your last competition eight months ago. Yeah. So based off of that 242.5, going back to what we said, this would be like an example where you wouldn't want user percentages off the 227.5 because it's going to give you such low attempts that you're not going to ever get to that 242.5. Right. So you, you, someone would either want to base it off of the 242.5 they hit in training, knowing that they hit it with like good technique, and that they're not cutting weight, like in your case, you're not cutting any weight. You're barely doing any any traveling. You're you're driving uh, 20 minutes, something like that. So the 242.5 is very accurate. So you want to either base it off of that number, or maybe slightly higher if you had more in the tank. Yeah. So, so 
in your case, what are you going to go with? Well, we, we were talking about this the other day, and this is the one that I, I need help the most on, I think. Uh, <laughs> Nate, Nate said just go for it. So, <laughs> uh, I, I was thinking 250 would be best case scenario. Might be a little ambitious, um, but I think I might have it in me. So one way people can do it is, for example, let's say you want your best case scenario to be 250 and you're actually being honest with yourself and you know that if the day's going well and everything is going well, you're going to get that 250. So if you want to do percentages, what you do is you would take 247.5, so take two and a half under it, and use that as picking your percentages. So if we did 247.5 times, let's say, 92%, that would give you an opener of 227.5. Right, which was where I was planning anyway. And then let's take that same 247.5 and times it by 97%. So we're going to do a 5% jump from first to second, and that'll give you 240. And then your third would be 250. So now if we look at it, 227.5 to 240 is a 12.5 kilo jump, and then 240 to 250 is a 10 kilo jump. So that also matches what we've talked about in previous episode, and a lot of people say is that as you're going from warm-ups even all the way up, but especially also from your attempts, is your attempts should be the same jump or less at, if, as a general rule of thumb because you're getting to heavier heavier weights. So right. you don't want to take a 5-kilo jump and then take a 30-kilo jump because, one, you might freak out and get nervous about all that, and two, as we said, it's um, a bad safety net where if you miss the 30-kilo jump, you're less left with so little. So a general way to do it is, okay, you're going up 12 and a half and then 10. So that makes sense from a percentage standpoint and from a, from a, uh, just looking at the absolute numbers. Right. So that would be one way to do it. That also gives you the room where if the opener is slower than you expected. You have 12 and a half kilos to, to pick an attempt in, in between where you were planning, right? So you might have to scale, you might end up having to scale it down, but yep. it gives you a, a lot of room in, in that 12 and a half window. Yeah, so let's say let's say bench press for whatever reason goes terrible and you only get your opener and now you're feeling like crap and you're like, man, this day sucks or something like that. So you go out there and you do 227.5 and just move slow. Well, then that gives you room to, yeah, let me just go 235 right. because your, your opener is already tying your, your competition PR. So go like 235, take a small PR, and then maybe end up at 240 for yeah. another smaller small PR and just call it a day. But if yeah. things are feeling good, it lets you take a little bit of bigger jumps compared to squat and uh, bench press to conserve your energy because you already maxed out on squat, which is the same muscle group, and then you maxed out on bench press, which still expends energy. And depending on the person, what style you do, maybe arching will uh, take a little bit toll out of your, your, your lower back, yeah. and maybe just squeezing the bar on squat and bench press takes a little bit out of your grip uh, and just the general the fatigue. So you want to take maybe bigger jumps it could serve your energy so you can get that 250. So you don't want to do maybe you say, like some people might say, well, 242.5 is what I hit in training. So I want to hit 245 for my second to guarantee a PR and then take the shot for 250 on a third. Well, you're basically picking your second attempt on, oh, I'm going to miss my third. So I want to have the 245. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what you're doing is, hey, I'm just picking the 240 as a stepping stone, as people call it, to get to the third attempt that I'm confident that I can hit. Right. It's like a pyramid. You're just kind of building up to it. Yeah. So that's how I would do it. It would be a 12 and a half and then a 10. Cool. We're on the, we're on the same page. <laughs> yeah. The, the, the only difference uh, 
that I do for some people is if I want to even make it like more bigger jumps, would I would do 12 and a half and 12 and a half. So actually the second would drop down two and a half and the first would drop down two and a half. So you'd be going 225, 237.5 and 250. Mm. Uh, and that's just like equal jumps for someone if you're just starting extra conservative on the opener. Like you said, if they're like a beginner or something like that and you're starting very light for them, they can just still handle the big jumps because they're starting at such a low percentage. So instead of going like 92, 97, one, uh, 100 or 101, then maybe you're going like 88 all the way up to, let's say, like 96. And then from there, all the way up to like 104. So you're just taking bigger jumps starting at a lower percentage. Right, right. Cool. That's, uh, that's my day on Sunday. <laughs> so, that, so that's your day for any of your competitors that want to know. Uh, Best case scenario, squat 245, 245. <laughs> best case scenario, bench 137.5, and deadlift 250. So that, that would give you a 5-kilo PR on squat. It would tie your PR on bench, and it would give you a 22.5-kilo uh, PR on deadlift. Yep. So 22.5 plus the 5 gets you 27.5 kilo total PR. If you execute all your three A's. That'd be pretty good. That'd be a good day. That's pretty good progress for eight months of training with basically bench being non-existent. <laughs> what bench? There's also only one other 120, so there is no competition. <laughs> <laughs> and by the time this comes out, the competition will be over, so people yeah. can go search in a database. Um, don't search Joey Cannoli. Search Joseph. Are you, are you in there, Joe or Joseph? Uh, Joseph Cristando. They can look out Joseph Cristando and see how many reds or greens you got in there. Yeah, hopefully all all green. <laughs> um, so we have a, a little bit more time, so uh, we'll go into the the last topic, which is like some advanced strategies. And one of the things that you mentioned for you that your goal is is going nine for nine, because obviously the more attempts you're gonna make, the more you're gonna put on your total, and the closer you're gonna get to that twenty-seven and a half kilo total PR. But when it does come to certain competitions, um, there are some strategies that aren't necessarily based off of going nine for nine. It's basically maybe tossing an attempt away because you know your competitor is going to miss too. So some examples of that, for example, a three lift competition would be when it comes down to like the final deadlift and even the, the three deadlift attempts is based on who's in the lead going into deadlifts and who's in the lead after each round of deadlifts. So we had an example in, I think it was Belarus. Maybe it was either Belarus or Finland. I was helping out a, a master's lifter from USA. I guess, I think it was against a master's lifter from Canada. And we were going to be up on first attempt deadlifts. So first attempt deadlifts, everyone made it. So we're, we're in the lead. So then we got to also see what they were putting in and what their pull was since we had the, the, the bigger pull on the opener. So we got to see what their attempt was, and they took whatever, let's say a five-kilo jump. So we matched them. We took a five-kilo jump. So then again, after second attempts, we're in the lead again. So second attempts, when everything went planned, everyone made theirs. So everyone, everyone stayed in the same position. So we're in first place again. So then again, we got to see their attempt and see what they put in. And obviously, when it comes to third attempt, deadlifts, for those who don't know, it's the last of the competition. You're allowed to change your lift up to two times. So that first attempt you throw in isn't always your actual attempt. You can throw in a fake number, a really high number, and then change it. So what they did is they threw in a really high number so that we wouldn't know what they wanted to do. So we just threw in a number, too. 
Uh, and certain countries and certain lifters have tendencies and some people have this mentality where they want to be the last person to pull. Right. They want to watch their competitor, see what they do, put their change in and be the last person to pull and pull for the win, um, which has some benefits. Obviously, you're the last person you, you decide your own fate, but also has some downsides because what we did is we we knew that this person wanted to pull after us. They want to see what we pull, see what our total is, put their change in and pull after us and pull for the win. So if you know for sure that they're gonna they're gonna want to pull after you, then you can start bumping your attempt up more to make them have to pull more and more because you can't change below what's under the bar. So for example, let's just just to throw some numbers in there, I'll make it easy. Let's say our our third attempt is a hundred and they need to beat us by two and a half kilos, so they'll go one oh two point five. So if those are really close to what the second attempt was, then maybe we'll make ours, then they'll make theirs, and then they'll win. So, well, what's the point of that? I went nine for nine. Um, I made all my lifts, but they got to outpull me and win. So let's let's play some strategy, and let's make them pull more than 102.5. Well, what if I change my 100 to 105? So now they'll change theirs to 107.5. Uh, right. again, again, that might still be within reach for both lifters, so, okay, I make my 105, they make their 107.5, we still went 9 for 9, we hit PRs and everything, but we still lost. Right. So, you have to find that range of how much can you push that other person that really badly wants to, uh, wants to be the last person. So, we did something like, let's say we went, we went 110, we took a pretty big jump, and of course, just like we thought, they went and did 112.5. So, we knew like, hey, most likely we're not going to make our 110, but there's no way they're going to make their 112.5. So, we left everything as is. We went, we missed our 110, they went, they missed our 112.5, and we won. Who cares that we went 8 for 9, and on there, it'll show up as a miss, and some people will look at the temp sheet and be like, oh, why do these people take a, such a huge jump? Uh, but we knew what their strategy was, and we based our strategy off of them. Like, hey, we don't care if we miss, because you're going to miss too, and we're already in the lead. Yeah. So that's, that's one strategy you can have when, when you're the person in the driver's seat, because we had the total, and... Um, it was their move to try and make a lift and force us to make a lift where they played it backwards and they wanted to wait and see what we did. So we took the miss, they took the miss and we took the, the overall championship. Yeah, that's pretty good. So it's some, some interesting strategies like that. And obviously if you're on the other end of it and you're the person who's down on total, like I said, you're in the driver's seat. Well then you need to pick an attempt that you know for sure you can make to get back in the lead and put pressure on the other person. So when it comes to being on the other side and you're down on total and you're trying to win, then yeah, it might be important for you to make every single lift and put the pressure on that person who has the better total to make every single lift. Um, and they have to be the last person to pull for the win. It might be the last lift of the competition depending, or the day, depending on what weight class and everything. So it's a lot of pressure on them to have to make it versus putting the pressure on yourself to have to make it. So it all depends on uh, where you are as far as um, what numbers you're doing what your numbers are compared to what the other person is doing and then what your total is going into that. It, it becomes even more complicated when you start going into, for example, bench press only because it, it's only one lift. It's just bench press and it's just three attempts. You don't have different disciplines to start building your total and maybe you're better at one discipline, you'll gain some ground and then maybe on another discipline you'll lose a little bit and then you battle it out at the end and maybe you screwed up and let's say you missed two squats but you're able to make three benches and three delts and gain some ground. It, it's just those three attempts, and every attempt matters. And that's where a lot of games start coming in. Like I said, you can change your opener, and then in a bench press only, you can change your third attempt bench press twice. So 
you can be changing your opener during warm-ups and then changing your third attempt uh, at the end. So there's a lot of jostling going around of order and placing everything like that. And then another thing that comes in uh, into play like that, it comes into play in the three lift with the deadlift, but also uh, in the bench press only is the lot number. So I forgot who it was that posted on Instagram. I think it was maybe Shane Martin from Canada posted on Instagram and I reposted it about what is lot number in powerlifting because a lot of people don't know what lot number is. And it serves two functions. And the first function is it decides the weigh-in order. So on Sunday, if my lot number is one and your lot number is two, well, then I'm supposed to weigh in first and then you weigh in second. Right. And on flip side, the other place where it comes into play is during the attempts. So if two lifters are taking the same attempt, then the lot number one goes first and the lot number two goes second. So if we're both trying the 137.5 bench press, I have to go first, then you get to watch me, and then you get to go. So I gain the advantage of weighing in or sooner and being able to like eat and rehydrate and relax. You gain the advantage of being able to lift after me and being able to watch my lift and basically change your attempt if you need to. Right. So that comes into play too, especially in the bench press only. Is then you start looking at people's attempts and you're saying, okay, well, this person weighed in more than me, but he has like a better lot number than me, or this person weighed in less than me, but I have a lot number on him. And then you start changing attempts because if you're going 250 and I want to go after you, then maybe I go 250 if I have the lot number. If I don't have the lot number, then I go 252.5 so I can bench after you. So then it becomes all a jostling a position because the, your best case scenario is that you want to be in the lead in, after first attempts, you want to be in the lead after second attempts, and put the pressure on that other person to have to make a big third attempt to, uh, to gain the ground. And like I said, you might start playing games with them at that point. If you're in the lead and go, in going into third attempts, then you can start changing your third attempt to mess with them if they don't know what you want to take and what you're going to do, and maybe they want to bench after you. Sure, I'll miss, and you miss, and I'll take the win with my two lifts. Mm. So there's a lot of strategy that comes into that. Um, one lifter we had from Florida uh, who's been around for like 30 years, Damian Franzalia, he went to Bench Worlds. I don't remember the exact numbers, but he was battling it out with someone who was, who was somewhat in reach. I mean, he, he could have probably done regular attempts and on a normal day he would have won, but because they wanted to ensure that he wins and have a shot at the world record bench press because that's what he wanted without going too aggressive and obviously maybe missing two or three lifts and then losing was they waited until weigh-ins were done and the lot, no, lot number was known and everything like that and see what the positioning was. And they changed his opener to just be ahead of the other guy. So that guy benches and then Damien goes two and a half kilos more and is in the lead. Then second attempt, that guy benches, Damien goes two and a half kilos more and is in the lead. Then that guy picks his third attempt and if he had made it, we, Damien would have gone two and a half kilos more and taken the win, and he would not have shot the world record bench press, but he would have won the world championship. Fortunately for him, the guy missed his third attempt, so Damien already had the win on the second attempt, so then he took a big jump for the world record bench press and got the world record, so he ended up having the perfect day. Yeah. So if you go look at the jumps, the jumps are a little weird because maybe he'll go like um, five kilos from first to second and then 10 kilos from second to third but that was basically like they were playing conservative for two attempts to make sure he wins the, the championship for himself and obviously the points for the team and then once he had that sealed up then he gets the extra going for the world record bench press for himself yeah that, it's, that stuff is, is so confusing to me but it's also it's super it's just fun it's fun to watch it's fun to, it's fun to take part in it too like Jordan's a fiend for 
<laughs> for playing games like that. For, for, for number crunching. And yeah, and the, and the strategy changes is in, in any sport. I mean, like if you're playing football and you have a, uh, a seven-point lead, well, then you may be change your defense up to be more conservative to not give up a big play, to not give up the touchdown. You'd rather give them a few yards and give them a field goal than to give up a big play and give up a, a touchdown. And similar thing could be in powerlifting, where if you already have a conservative lead going into deadlift, let's say like 10 kilos, well, then why take huge jumps on deadlift where you might miss your second and third attempt and let the person backdoor you? You already have the 10K padded lead going into deadlift. Well, then maybe you take more conservative jumps and just hold on to your lead. Maybe they only gain two and a half kilos on you going into second attempt, so then they're, they're behind seven and a half kilos. Then maybe they try and gain seven and a half kilos going into their third, and if you just make your third, then you're so far ahead. But if you miss your third, they can possibly get those seven and a half kilos. So, I mean, the, the strategy and stuff like that is in every sport. Just in our sports, a little bit different where yeah. it comes into play of changing that third attempt, whether it's bench press in the bench only or deadlift in the three lift and looking at who weighs more, who weighs less and who has the lot number in case two lifters are taking the uh, same attempt. Right. It's also kind of crazy that like there's there's so many people that compete in powerlifting and probably a lot of people aren't aware of this because at local meets it doesn't really happen it, you won't see it too often and you know it's just like a it's an aspect of the sport that's like kind of hidden you know yeah i mean i mean a lot of people even say like a uh our raw nationals is too big which i mean a lot of us agree with that of uh, it is too big but even if you still think about it like okay it's too big if you still think about it you have a thousand lifters out of eighteen thousand members that's about 6% of the entire U.S. is going to our raw nationals. So 6% right. is still a small group. And even amongst those 6%, not everyone's playing strategy for placing. Some people are just going there and making their own total. So for even for some of my lifters, I just focused on their total. It didn't really matter to us whether we got 30th place or 33rd place or 35th place. Right. We're just focused on hitting our PRs and having fun there and that kind of stuff like that. Um, it's only for those top people that are battling it out among the 6%. And, and then out of those, U.S. might send um, a, a hundred from Raw Nationals to Raw Worlds and then maybe a couple hundred from the other national championships, the other worlds. So we're talking about maybe 300 USA lifters out of 18,000 are going to a world championship and maybe there they're battling it out. So we're talking about a very sm small percentage that are working with those strategies and working with those changing the temp selection, everything based on that. So yeah, most people don't know about it or they know about it, but they don't know all the rules. So I'll be at a local meet and oftentimes someone will come out and ask me like, hey, up to when can I change my third attempt deadlift? And I have to explain to them, hey, you can change it twice. You can't go down what's already on the bar. Once they once they say bars loaded for Joe, then you, Joe can't change his attempt anymore. So that little stuff and maybe they learn. But yeah, for a lot of people, 90 to 95% of people, they're not worried about that because they're just focused on hitting their own PRs. Like you're going to this meet, yeah, you're competing against one person, but you're yeah. not competing against that person. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you just want to hit those numbers that we discussed, put your PR total together, and then go back to training and start rebuilding the bench press and all that kind of stuff like that. Yeah, pretty much. And then, and I think most most lifters, it's the same case, you know. Yeah. So. I mean, our, our rule book, I don't know how many pages it is, but our, our USAPL rule book is 20, 30, 40 pages. Um, but a lot of those rules don't affect the average person. Right. And then if they do affect that person, sometimes I have a coach that takes care of everything, so they don't even know what's going on. 
Sometimes I just go to the scoring table and I throw in a temp change or an opener change and the lifter doesn't even know what's going on because they're, they're trusting me to do that stuff so that they don't have to worry about it. Right. Yeah, that's, that's your job. <laughs> yeah. So. Cool. That, that, I mean, that's pretty much it for me as far as advanced strategies that we can talk in, in this episode. Uh, we're already at 55 minutes here, so I don't want to go into like a, another example. Uh, but we went over the basic methods for everyone. You can do percentage-based, you can do RPE-based, and if you're fortunate enough to have a open barbell or the upcoming rep one, then you can do velocity-based. You can also use the example I told you of uh, our, our lifter, Donnie Bingham, who just timed his own concentric phase. You can even do that when you're training with video analysis because everyone now can record their, video, their lifting with their phone or anything like that, and you can actually time it that way. Um, and then we went over some... some uh, Attempts for Joe for his competition on Sunday, where he's going to hit a 27 and a half kilo total PR in eight months. Let's go. That's some some pretty good progress. <laughs> uh, so, and we'll talk a little bit more in future episodes about the training methods that you and Jordan use to get those kind of numbers and that kind of progress. So we'll do that in future episodes. And then we talked about some extra advanced strategies for lifters when it comes to winning nationals and world where it's not all about necessarily making all your attempts or making your your max effort on every lift sometimes it's just about winning doesn't matter what the score is whether you're playing basketball football or a parallel thing it just depends on whether you won that championship or not right it's a good episode yep pretty pretty good episode here so we're gonna shut it down now since it's getting pretty uh long and then we'll uh, be back with episode three. We don't know yet what topic it's going to be or if it's going to be maybe an interview. But we'll let you guys know in some uh, posts coming up. All right. Thank Thanks, you man. for listening. All right. Bye. Peace.